So Titus is not a real long letter. Titus is one of the pastoral letters along with 1st and 2nd Timothy. Um, Titus was a pastor. Titus was a pastor on the island of Crete. And Paul wrote this letter to Titus, giving him instructions about his leadership, his pastoral duties there on the island of Crete. So we're going to begin our journey through this pastoral letter of Paul to his son in the faith, Titus. And we're going to answer today two primary questions. We're going to answer the question, what is an apostle? And we're going to also answer the question, are there still apostles today? So we're going to focus on a really narrow band of this letter today, but this letter holds much that is relevant for us today. So get ready. Uh, in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about a lot of important things um, that Paul wrote to Titus, but he wrote for us today. Amen? Amen. I'm going to read Titus chapter 1. I'm going to read the first verse to you. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for, Lord, these letters, these inspired words that you gave to your apostles, to your servants, recorded for us, preserved for us, so that we would have the record of your inspired word. Father, something so important was said today in our Sunday school lesson. Your word is infallible, but the understanding of your word, our understanding of that word is not infallible. So we acknowledge, God, that our understanding of your word and of your ways is very fallible, very finite. We confess our weakness, God, but we rejoice for when we are weak, we are strong because your strength is made perfect in our weakness. So God, by your Holy Spirit today, teach us, lead us, and guide us. Lord, let this word wash over us and renew our hearts and our minds that we would be a people who would rightly divide the word of truth, being conformed to the very image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in that name, the name of Christ, that we pray. Amen. All right, so really, we're not even going to cover the whole first verse today. We're going to cover just a portion of it, the very first portion, where Paul writes, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So this is Paul's introduction to this church. And Paul, in the very beginning here, declares himself to be a slave of God. Paul, a slave of God. As Anders rightly pointed out, the word bondservant in my New King James translation is the word doulos in the Greek, and it is a word that means slave. Paul, a slave of God. This is Paul describing himself in Christ, all believers are called slaves of God. This is true no matter their station or their social status in life. So whether you are rich or poor, whether you are free or slave, and yes, there are slaves still on planet Earth, millions and millions, tens of millions of them. In other words, no matter who you are, no matter who, what, when, or where, Jesus is Lord of all. If you are a child of God, you are the slave of God. Now, you might not 
think of it that way. You may not live out your faith that way, but this is what the Scripture teaches us. And this is why Paul opens this letter with that declaration, Paul, a slave of God. This word is used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament Scriptures called the Septuagint. And so, remember, the, the, the Hebrew Scriptures were translated from Hebrew into Greek because over the course of several centuries, with the Greeks ruling the world, even after their rule dissipated and the Romans came to rule the world, the, rule, the world was still, a, was still a Greek world. Culture was Greek. The language was Greek. Alexander and the Greeks had done a fabulous job of Hellenizing the known world. And in light of that, the Jews realized that many of their people no longer spoke Hebrew. And in order to study the Scripture, read the Scripture, and, and, and live out the Scriptures, they needed to be able to read and study and pray the Scripture. So the translation was made. It's what we call the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, this word, doulos, a Greek word, is used to describe men like King David, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, and others. So men of God, even kings, David was called the slave of God. These men of God are described as slaves, slaves of God, just as Paul describes himself in the introduction of this letter. In the New Testament, all believers are called slaves of God. In Romans 6, we won't do it now, but read Romans 6. And when you read Romans 6, you'll see that Paul is exhorting the believers to present their members, that means our hands, our feet, our mouths, our ears, our eyes, our minds, everything, present your members as slaves to God for righteousness. Let me read to you Romans chapter 6, verses 18 and verse 22. Paul writes, And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. How were you set free from sin? Well, you didn't set yourself free from sin. You didn't choose to be free from sin because you cannot choose to be free from sin. You were born into sin, and the only escape from sin is for you to be born again. And I dare any of you to show me the sheet you filled out before your first birth telling God who you wanted your parents to be, what color you wanted your hair to be, what city you wanted to be born in, what gender you wanted to be born, how tall you wanted to be. Oh, wait, you didn't fill that form out, did you? Because you and I had nothing to do with our birth into this world. That was the grace of God. And guess what? You and I have nothing to do with being born again of the Spirit. That too is the grace of God. And when we are born again of the Spirit, that is when we are set free from sin and death. So Paul writes, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In other words, when you were born again, well, let me just say it this way. When you were born the first time, you were born a slave to sin. When Christ, in his grace, caused you to be born again of the Spirit, you were born a slave to God. That's good news. And you should rejoice in that slavery to the Lord God. Verse 22, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So our slavery to God is to, to look like something. Here, Paul says, it is to look like holiness. The fruit, you have the fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. What's the end? It is everlasting life. As long as you're living your life 
producing the fruits of holiness, you don't ever have to worry about what your end is going to be. You can have the assurance that you will, when you leave this earth, go immediately to the presence of the Lord. Amen. That's the grace of God. God has done that in you and for you. Having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you are to live your life serving Him joyfully and willfully from a heart of love in righteousness and holiness. Paul called himself the slave of God and he was joyful to do so. He was thankful to do so because in becoming the slave of God, Paul understood what he was delivered from. He understood the slavery he was delivered from and delivered into. One was a slavery that led to death and destruction and eternal damnation, but he was delivered by God's grace into a slavery whose end is eternal life. Praise God. And if you are trusting Jesus today, that is your end. That is the assurance you are to have because of what God has done for you by His grace. And this is exactly how Paul describes his life in Christ. He describes it as filled with joy, filled with love, filled with righteousness, filled with holiness, and yes, also filled with much tribulation. We, we want all of those things, but we don't want the tribulation of life. But I'm going to tell you, life is filled with tribulation. Some of you know it firsthand. Paul, in becoming the slave of God, embraced that joyfully and willfully from a heart of love, serving the Lord God in righteousness and holiness having been saved by God's sovereign grace through faith in Jesus Christ, being a slave of God should not be forced labor. In other words, God is not some cruel taskmaster forcing you to work for Him. That's, if that's our idea of what it is to be a slave of God, we, we have the wrong idea. And we either need to have our minds severely renewed, or maybe we need to examine ourselves to see whether we are truly in the faith or not. Because that's not who our God is. That's not who our Savior is. This is not forced labor. This is joyful, willful service and love for Him. So ask yourself today, do you joyfully count yourself a slave of God? I pray you do. For your good and for His glory. Because that's why we exist. God has created us. He has given us life for His glory. Paul, a slave of God, embrace that title. Because in Christ, that is exactly who you are. Then he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about that word doulos and being a slave of God when we went through the book of Colossians. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But I want to focus the rest of our time on this statement that Paul marries to his declaration, Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So yes, Paul was a slave, but not just a slave. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul was made a slave of God to fulfill his calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because Paul didn't start out in life, even in his earthly ministry as a Pharisee, he didn't start out serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He thought he was serving God. And we could say he served God in many different ways, but he didn't serve God's ultimate plan and purpose until Paul gained a revelation of Jesus Christ and came to learn who his true Lord is, who his true Messiah is. And so we can say that on that day that Paul was knocked off his donkey and blinded by the glory of God on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, until that day... Paul was a slave to sin. 
and to death and to wickedness. And he writes about that in Romans chapter 7. But it was on that day that Christ was revealed to him that Paul was made a slave of God and he was made a slave in order to fulfill his calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. In nine of the 13 letters that bear Paul's name, so we can know for certain that there are 13 letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote because they bear his name. The letter to the Hebrews, many believe Paul wrote it, but it doesn't bear his name. So let's just say of the 13 that bear his name, in nine of those letters, Paul specifically declares himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. In describing himself as a slave of God, Paul is informing the believers who he belongs to. He belongs to God. He's God's slave. In describing himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul is informing the believers in whose authority he instructs them and commands them. Paul did not come in his own authority. He came in the authority of Jesus Christ. Thus he declares an apostle of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this word apostle. What is an apostle? And are there still apostles today? I think this is important to spend some time talking about because there are lots of people preaching lots of things. There are people out there writing books, selling millions of copies. There are people out there with with millions of viewers via satellite being broadcast all over the world, and there are lots of professing Christians happily following many of these people who are nothing more than false prophets and false apostles. So I think it's worth our time, in light of the the age we live in and the proliferation of false doctrine and bad theology from pulpits and across the airwaves, let's just talk a little bit about what is an apostle. So the word apostle is from the Greek word apostolos, which is derived from a Greek word that means to send. It comes from a word that means to send. What's interesting is in the ancient Greek culture, according to Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, the word apostolos was historically used in connection with maritime affairs. That means it had to do with ships in the ocean in the seafaring way. Maritime affairs. It was used when speaking of a ship or a group of ships or their leader. It implies something being sent under another's initiative, like sending a bill or an invoice or a cargo, as opposed to individual initiative. You see what I'm saying? No cargo said, hey guys, let's, let's carry ourselves and get on that ship and sell somewhere. Cargo doesn't do that. When you receive a bill or an invoice from, say, the electric company, or if you own a business and you send a bill or an invoice, you might be the one initiating the sending of that bill or invoice, but that bill or invoice didn't send itself. In other words, it implies something being sent under another's initiative, like like something that is, it's always used as impersonal and passive. It's a different understanding than what we have in the New Testament in some ways. Outside the New Testament, the Greek word for apostle is not used in the same sense that we have come to understand it from the New Testament scriptures. So I'm just kind of giving you the root of this word and how it came to be what we know it to be today. Now, remember I told you about the Septuagint? That was the Hebrew Scriptures translated into Greek. Well, guess what? In the Hebrew Scriptures that were translated into Greek, this word 
apostolos was used frequently. It's a Greek word. And so in the Septuagint, the word, the Hebrew word, shalach, which is translated into our word apostolos, that Hebrew word shalach, it's a root word, a primitive word that generally means to send, to send or to be sent. That's what shalach means. So if you, you know, if you've got a concordance, I'm not sure what's doing that, but if you've got a concordance, you can go to the Old Testament and look up the word sin, and, and it's going to be, the transliteration is shalak. But this is the word we're talking about. And if you go to the Septuagint, and you look up that word in the Greek, those Old Testament scriptures translated into Greek, you get the word apostolos. So when, when Jesus was born, the Septuagint was well in use. It had been in use for, for, for many, many, many decades. And so the church, especially the Gentile church, whatever native language that may, they may have spoke, they also spoke Greek. The Hebrew church, the Jews, many of them who came from various parts of the world, some of them may have spoke Hebrew, but many of them maybe did not speak or read Hebrew, but they, they all read or spoke Greek. Jews prided themselves on education. There was very little illiteracy among the Jews. Now, I'm not saying they all had the same level of education. And so, in the New Testament... The Greek word apostolos is our word apostle. That's the English translation of that Greek word. And it has come to be defined as one who fulfills the role of being a special messenger or a special sent one. Or sometimes we just say one who is sent. So we could say an apostle in our understanding of the New Testament scriptures, has come to mean a special messenger who is sent. Because that word apostle, apostolos in the Greek, comes from the Hebrew word shalach, which means to send. So it's come down to us now, meaning one who is sent out. So that understanding of an apostle comes from the Hebrew concept of the shaliach, or the one who is sent. And in the context of Hebrew culture, the shaliach was not theological or religious. That verb or that adjective has been turned into a noun. And now, you can look this up, they, the Jews are sending out what they call shaliachs which are special sent ones to spread Judaism. They're envoys, they're emissaries for Judaism. Well, that's not something new. The Bible tells us of sent ones throughout the whole record of Scripture. It's the same word. It's the same context. And in the context of Hebrew culture, the shaliach was not theological or religious as much it was concerned about legal matters. So from the Jewish writings of the rabbis called the Mishnah, here is a clear definition of what this term means. The, this is an ancient saying. It says, the one who is sent, the shalach, is the same as the one who sins. So I want you to hear that again. The one who is sent is the same as the one who sins. Now, this comes from the Old Testament law of the messenger, where the reaction paid to the messenger is the same reaction paid to the one who is sending the messenger. We see this in a couple of really important examples in the Old Testament scriptures. Let me give you a positive example first. From 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 40 and 42, where Abigail 
washes the feet of David's servants, his sent or shalak messengers. Listen to the account from 1 Samuel. Now remember this in context. Abigail had a husband who was a loser and just to put it politely, an idiot. And he was about to get him and his whole household killed because he severely insulted King David and his men. And he didn't care, but fortunately, a wise servant came and told his wife, your husband just was himself to King David, and and we're fixing to all die as a result of it. So Abigail literally gets on her donkey, and she makes provision, and she goes to set things right. And it all worked out really well. Her husband died. God took care of him. And now, as a result of her faithfulness and her kindness to David and his men, verse 40, when the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Now this, we understand this really in a perverted way in our modern culture. But David taking Abigail as his wife was a grace to Abigail because Abigail's husband died. And Abigail was left without a husband, without a head, defenseless. And David, because he was a man of honor and because this woman had honored him and his man and his men, he sent messengers and said, my servant, my, my king David, by his messengers, my, my, my Lord David wants you to become his wife. Not because he was lusting after Abigail, but because he wanted to honor her and protect her and do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So washing the feet of the messengers David sent to her was the same as washing David's feet. Abigail understood that, which is why she reacted to those shallocks the way she did, those sent ones the way she did. Those messengers sent to Abigail with David's proposal represented David himself. And she reacted as though she were washing the feet of David himself. That's how David understood that when he received the news that Abigail had washed the feet of his servants. Now let's look at another example also with King David. When King David was king after Saul had died and he had rightfully taken the throne and the Ammonite king died who had a long history with Israel, and not all of it good, David thought, ah, the king of Ammon has died. I will send a delegation to Ammon to express my condolences to the new king and to offer peace that we can live together in harmony. This is recorded, and I'm not going to read it, but it's it's in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. And that new king of Ammon, that foolish king, took unwise counsel from his counselors who told him, David is just sending his guys over here to spy out the land, and then they're going to come in, and and they're going to try to take over our, our territory and our kingdom. So what they did was they cut the beards off of all of David's men, a great insult, and they cut their garments off just above their buttocks, so they had no beard and they had no covering. And this was the ultimate shame. And then they sent him back home. They sent him back to David. 
Now, understanding the law of the messenger and understanding what these Shalak men of David represented, you see that this was not just an insult to those men. It was an insult to David himself. So David, in an attempt to show kindness to these Amorites, sends a delegation offering condolences, offering peace. The Ammonites respond by cutting the beards and cutting the garments and exposing these messengers. And the humiliation was not just to David's men, but it was to David himself and to the entire kingdom. And worse than that, it was a humiliation to the Lord God that David served, to the kingdom of men and to the kingdom of God. And David's reaction was not just on behalf of his men, it was not just on behalf of him and his kingdom, but most importantly, his reaction was a reaction that spoke of his relationship to the true and living God that he represented on this earth. You can go read 2 Samuel and see what God did to the Ammonites or what David did to the Ammonites. It wasn't nice. Because they didn't just humiliate those men, those sent ones, those shalak servants. Because the law of the messenger said, when you humiliate my messenger, you're humiliating me. So, with that understanding, let's ask this question again. What is an apostle? An apostle is a special messenger sent out representing the one sending him. The, the response to the messenger who has been sent is the response of the one sending the message. Jesus set out of his, sent out his apostles with the message of his gospel. And the response of men to the Lord's messengers, his apostles, is the response of men to the Lord himself. That's why he said, if they receive you, great, go in and, and, and speak peace over that house. If they don't receive you, you shake the dust off. And, and that house is cursed. The response to the message of the gospel through the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, think us, is a direct response to the Lord Jesus himself. If you reject the messenger with the message of the gospel, you reject the one who has sent the messenger with the message of the gospel. So when they reject you and the gospel you have, they're not, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the Lord. When they suppress the truth you give to them, they're not suppressing your truth. They're suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness. If you reject the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you reject the Lord Jesus. People say today to me, I hear this too frequently, well, I love Jesus, but I hate his church. Well, that's impossible. You cannot love Jesus and hate his church because Jesus and his church are one. There is no separation. You cannot hate the church. You don't know who the church is. You don't even know who Jesus is if you truly hate the church but love Jesus. Today, though we are by no means in the same category as his 12 apostles, we are still his sent ones. You've been sent by God. Now, Jesus, who, so this question, are there, are there still apostles today? So Jesus sent out these special messengers we call his apostles. Well, let's look a little more fully, because in answering are there still apostles today, we're going to come to more fully understand what an apostle is. And we're going to also understand how we view apostles today. So when we talk about the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ... His sent out ones, we realize that Jesus sovereignly called 12 men to be his disciples. Jesus had many more than 12 people following him. But he had 12 men he called to be his apostles. It's recorded in the Gospels, but I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Mark 3, 13, and he went up on the mountain and called to, the, to him... Those he himself wanted. Now that's something we should pay attention to. He didn't call the ones who wanted to be called. He called the ones he wanted to call. Amen. 
Do you see the difference? Now, maybe you wanted to be called by God. You know, you, you can believe that. But the Bible says there's no one who desires him. There's no one who wants him. So the, who initiates this thing? Well, Jesus initiates it. God initiates it. And here, Jesus initiated calling to himself those he himself wanted. And they came to him. You can't resist God's call. When he chooses you and says, you're mine, I'm calling you, you're not going to resist his call. He chose the ones, he called the ones he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Then he lists all the 12 apostles, and I'm not going to list those for you right now. Um, But the point is, he called them, he empowered them, he gave them authority, his authority. Now this is... This is when he sends those 12 out. This is during his earthly ministry. And these 12 men were initially disciples of Jesus. And Jesus called them from being just disciples to being his apostles. His special sent out messengers to do his special work. Jesus called the 12 men he wanted. And these 12 were called to walk in another role... For him as his apostles. The apostles of Jesus were sent out as his special messengers representing his very person. Representing his person, representing Christ. In this role, they carried the same authority as Christ. And we see this as he gave them power over sickness and over demons. They came back rejoicing. Oh, man, Jesus said, be careful. Don't rejoice because you have power over demons. Rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We We see this when Jesus sends out the 12 apostles with his power and his authority. They were his representatives. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He gave them power and authority over all demons, but he didn't give them power and authority to cure all diseases. We know this is true because there was a lame man at the gate that Peter and John encountered after the ascension of Jesus. So obviously, Jesus and his disciples didn't heal that guy because he was lame since birth. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. These are his apostles. As those apostles of Jesus went out in his power and authority, even Judas, who betrayed him, you realize that he went out with them with power and authority. The rejection, I'm sorry, the rejection of his messengers was the rejection of him. So as they went out, as they were rejected, it was a rejection of Jesus. As they went out and they were accepted, and their message was accepted, it was the acceptance of Christ and the gospel. After the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord, his disciples were waiting in the upper room. They had to choose another qualified apostle to take the place of Judas, who had betrayed the Lord, and as a result of that betrayal, he killed himself. So now there's only 11 apostles. Jesus had originally called 12 And so while they're in the upper room, in Acts chapter 1, verse 21, Peter says, it says of this account, therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time, Peter is speaking, of all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these, one of these men among us, who's been with us the whole time, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias. Too bad Matthias isn't here today. He'd be so excited to hear his name. (laughs) They prayed. They cast lots through dice, in other words, kind of. 
the most random thing you can do? They cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. So in Acts chapter 1, remember the question is, are there still apostles among us today? In Acts chapter 1, we see the qualifications to be an apostle of Christ. An apostle had to be a man. He had to have accompanied the Lord Jesus, beginning from the baptism of John to his ascension, making that man an eyewitness to the resurrection of the Lord. He had to be a man chosen by the Lord, not by one another, not by himself. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. Now you have twelve apostles again, chosen by the Lord. But we're not talking about those twelve in the letter to Titus. We're talking about the apostle Paul. What about Paul the apostle? Well, Paul was called by Christ to be an apostle just like the other twelve were, making the number thirteen. I've heard it said that those apostles and those disciples in the upper room made a mistake in choosing Matthias. They should have been patient and waited for Paul. I actually don't believe that. Paul had his own plan and his own purpose for, I mean, God had his own plan and his own purpose for the apostle Paul. Unlike the others called to the Jews, Paul was called to the Gentiles. Again, like all the others, Paul did not choose himself to be an apostle. He was chosen by the Lord Jesus. The record of his choosing is chronicled by Luke in the book of Acts. It's found in Acts 26, 15 through 18. Paul is knocked off his donkey, and he says in his blindness, he's now blinded by the light of the glory of the Lord Jesus. And Paul says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Paul wasn't sent to the Jews, he was sent to the Gentiles. For what reason? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by, by faith in me, so that the nations would receive, be sanctified and receive an inheritance. Paul, on his way to Damascus with a commission to arrest and imprison Christians and even bring them to death, encounters the resurrected Lord. Paul is chosen and commissioned by the Lord himself that very hour to be an apostle of Christ to the Gentiles. Paul affirms his apostleship in his letters to the churches. We find that in 2 Corinthians 11, 5 and 6 and 2 Corinthians 12, 12. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul writes, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Paul and the other 12 apostles of Christ were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord. They performed signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Paul and the others did not choose to be apostles. They were chosen by Jesus himself. The apostles of Christ were chosen to give eyewitness testimony to the resurrection. They had a special calling in that role to the church that Christ has promised to build. He's promised to build his church. Nothing, nothing, listen to me church, nothing can stop that promise. The office of an apostle was a specific calling for specific men specifically chosen by Jesus himself for that specific time. That office was fulfilled by those unique individuals. Those apostles did not begin an apostolic institution or an apostolic office that continues on earth today. That was not the purpose of their calling. God used the apostles of Christ to help establish, instruct, and guide the church in its infancy at its beginning. Now the Lord, 
by His Holy Spirit, is present with His church to lead, guide, and teach His body individually and corporately through the Word of God. God uses men He calls to be pastors and teachers to shepherd His church today. Though the apostles of Jesus are no longer with us on this earth, in that calling, in that form, in that role, with that power and that authority that the twelve and Paul had, their eyewitness testimony is alive and well today in God's inspired word. In the scripture, we have the testimony of the apostles still producing faith today by the power of the Holy Spirit. By His grace, those apostles chosen for His unique calling will forever be in a category of their very own. Not because they were special, because they weren't special, they were ordinary men. Not because they were special, but because God is graceful. Except for the grace of God, they were all ordinary, flawed men just like us. God, in His sovereign grace, chose those very ordinary and flawed men to be His special, sent messengers for that unique mission in time. Jesus chose them, and He molded and shaped them for that task. And as Paul himself said, I am what I am by the grace of God. It was by grace those men were called apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. That special grace, and it was, and it is a special grace. That special grace and particular calling for the church has passed. God is now pouring out His Holy Spirit without distinction. He has completed the canon of His Holy Word. The Bible is complete. It's not still being written today. He removed the type and the shadow that was the temple in Jerusalem. That went away in 70 A.D., He is now building His holy temple, His holy Jerusalem that will one day descend from heaven that the wall of that heavenly city that is the church, the bride of the Lamb, will have 12 foundations under it engraved with the names of the 12 apostles. You don't believe me? Revelation 21.14. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them there were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So back to our question, are there still apostles today? The answer is there are no apostles like those chosen and commissioned by Jesus himself to give eyewitness testimony to the resurrection. There are no apostles or prophets today, for that matter, with the authority to write Scripture. There are no apostles today with the same power and authority as those personally commissioned by Jesus Himself for the establishing of His church and the completion of His holy word. There are no apostles today like those apostles recorded in Scripture who will have their names engraved on the foundations of the Holy Jerusalem. There are, listen carefully, there are those who are still sent ones in the name of the Lord today. Just as there were men who were called apostles who were not commissioned the same as the twelve and the apostle Paul. Barnabas was called an apostle. But Barnabas was not the same type of apostle as the twelve and as Paul. I'm not saying Barnabas didn't have the same authority in terms of proclaiming the gospel, establishing churches, declaring the forgiveness of sin. But there's a reason why we don't have a book called the book of Barnabas. Now, I will say this. Some people believe Barnabas is the author of the letter to the Hebrews, and he may well be. We just don't know that. There were other men called apostles who we see recorded in Scripture. We don't hear anything else about them. So, 
There obviously were then and still are today people who were sent out in the name of the Lord. They just don't hold the same commission, the same role, the same power, the same authority, the same particular mission that Jesus gave those 12 and the Apostle Paul. And when you think about the mission of Judas, the mission of Judas was to betray Jesus. That was his role as an apostle. That was his God-ordained role as an apostle. Today there are men who are still sent with the message of the gospel to establish churches and make disciples. We call these sent ones evangelists or missionaries. Missionaries today function much, much like the apostles of the New Testament scriptures. <clears throat> Just like apostles then, missionaries today are sent out to preach the gospel and establish churches. We support them in various parts of the world. We can call these sent today, can we call these sent today, these sent ones today, can we call them apostles? We could in a practical, functional sense in terms of their work preaching and teaching the gospel and establishing and overseeing churches, we could in that sense perhaps say they have an apostolic calling but we absolutely cannot call them apostles in the same category as the Twelve and the Apostle Paul. Today, we most certainly have evangelists and pastors and teachers. Some say we still have apostles and prophets, but those terms must be carefully qualified. There's a lot of men running around today who call themselves apostles, who call themselves prophets. And I'm just going to be really honest with you. I, I would be fearful to even give myself that, that name and title. Because when I see in the Bible is God chose those men. And I know, I get it. There's guys who say, God chose me to be this. God gave me this. Mm, just be careful. You better discern the spirits and, and, and weigh their words very carefully, what they're saying. We have one still being sent out to establish and oversee churches. That is absolutely true. And we could call their function apostolic. And as long as we understand this is a far different gift and a far different calling than the original 12, then we can say they function in an apostolic way. We have men declaring the word of God today like I am right now who could say we have, that they are prophets of God's word, prophets proclaiming God's word. In a sense, I'm a prophet proclaiming God's word. I'm a proclaimer of God's word. I'm proclaiming his prophetic word. But I'm not saying that the words coming out of my lip are just as the words coming from God. My words don't carry the same weight as the words of God unless I'm quoting the word of God. You understand, God's not making new words come out of me that are now going to become, thus saith the Lord. We need to be really careful when people make those declarations about the words they're declaring. As long as prophets today are declaring the written word of God from the completed canon of Scripture, I can, I can go with them. There are no prophets declaring a new word from God or a different gospel. And if they are, they are false prophets. Most importantly, we have the Holy Spirit and we have the word of God today. And whatever men call themselves, we must all be defined and ordered and set in place by the Scripture. If we go outside the Scripture, we're not safe. We're not safe in ourselves, and we're not safe to hear or to heed. We definitely have men sent out to do the work of preaching the gospel and establishing churches. We call those men, as I said, evangelists and missionaries. We can say they're doing apostolic work, and I believe they are, but they are not apostles with the same calling and authority of the twelve or of the apostle Paul. And if those men who call themselves apostles claim to have the same authority, just as Peter 
James and John and Paul did, if they claim that, they are false apostles in the same category as false prophets. And their words and their deeds need to be rejected by us, by the church. You have believed his gospel, or you wouldn't be here today, perhaps. Or maybe you're here today to hear the gospel so that you can believe it. If you have believed the truth of the gospel, if you are a covenant member of God's church, of Christ's body, we take this time every week to come, oops, muscle memory, come to the table of the Lord. This table that has the bread and the wine, this table that proclaims the body and the blood of Jesus, this table that is a table of grace for those who understand that they are hopeless apart from Jesus. We have this table today because God did send out His special messengers. Yes, those prophets who we read about in the Scripture. Yes, those apostles who founded the, the first New Testament churches. But also the long line of men and women who have gone out as disciples of Jesus proclaiming the gospel proclaiming the words of the prophets and the words of the apostles. And it is upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that the church is built. It is through the words of those apostles and those prophets that we have this table today proclaiming the new covenant through the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, you are welcome to this table if you are a covenant member, whether you are young or whether you are old. If you have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, baptized into Christ, you are welcome to this table. And you are welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. In our charge today, I ask again the question, what is an apostle? I think we've come to realize and come to learn an apostle is a special messenger who is sent out. Are there still apostles today? And the answer is not as the twelve or not as the apostle Paul. Those are unique and those will never, those callings will never be renewed again. The better question is, are we still sending out messengers with the gospel? And the answer to that is yes. You represent Christ. If you name the name of Jesus, you represent Christ. If you name the name of Jesus, you have been commissioned by Jesus to go forth and proclaim the message of his gospel. In fact, he has commanded you and he has commanded me to go and to make disciples of the nation. And those messengers fulfill different callings. They do different things in different ways in different places, but all are sent in His name with the message of His gospel. That means that, in a sense, the one who is sent, remember the shalach, the one who is sent is the same as the one who sins. Well, you're not the same as Jesus, but you absolutely represent Jesus. And you absolutely, through His grace, have become a partaker of His divine nature. And He has absolutely, in His authority, given you authority to proclaim His name. So when the world rejects you, don't take it personal. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Christ in you. When the world won't hear your message, don't worry. It's Christ and the truth of Christ. They are suppressing. But when the world accepts you, and when they accept your message, don't think it's you. Rejoice that it is Christ they are accepting. It is Christ they are hearing. It is Christ they are desiring. If the world sees anything in us, that is worth seeing, that is worth having. Let it be Christ in you, the hope of Amen. glory. Amen. Do not hold back, but proclaim 
loudly and boldly in love the truth of Christ, our only hope in life and in death. Amen? Amen. You are his messengers. He has sent you forth. So represent him well to your good and to his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's sing our thanks. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Now to Him who is able to do Far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. The Lord.